Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. And we're going to talk about a really fun subject today with some great guests. Um, but to kick us off, let me just give a little background information. Last year, Cherryland completely revamped our solar offerings for our members. And so now our members have the opportunity to go solar in three different ways. One is net metering. In, in a net metering scenario, they're doing minute-to-minute -minute metering, and anything they generate and use in their home, just as a kilowatt hour, they didn't have to purchase from it, so it offsets their retail rate. Anything they generate and don't use in their home, they can sell to us at 5.6 cents a kilowatt hour, and we will guarantee them that rate for 10 years. It's a really good option for members who are wanting to produce and use their own energy in their home. The second and the new option that we added last year is a program we're calling Buy All, Sell All. And under that scenario, the member has two meters, and we're kind of truing up on a, on a monthly basis, I guess. So everything they generate, they can sell. Everything they generate, they have to sell to us for $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour. And everything they use, they have to purchase from us at our retail rate, and we will guarantee them that program for 20 years. And it's a really good option for members who are wanting to offset their whole bill so build something big enough to offset their whole bill, or potentially even make more than what they're going to sell or buy from us. And the third option we're offering is a community solar option. We've had that for a while, but we have a new offering. And in that scenario, the member will purchase a share in a solar array that is located in Cadillac, and we will give them a credit of $0.10 cents per kilowatt hour generated by their share, which is roughly the equivalent of a panel, and they'll have that program for 15 years. So it's a really good option for members who don't want the hassle or, you know, don't, don't have a good location to own solar at their own home. So we've really had solar on our mind here at Cherryland, and we've made a lot of big changes in the last 12 months. And what's cool is that these programs are having a significant impact in our region. Prior to rolling out our new program, we had about 400 kW of solar installed throughout our system. And if all the projects we currently know are in progress on our lines get built, and this is excluding our community solar project, we will have close to 2 megawatts of solar on our system at the end of this year. That is a 400% increase, mostly due to that buy-all, sell-all program we just added. So we know a lot of exciting stuff is going on with solar in our community and throughout the state. And joining me today to discuss these developments are Jim McInnes. Jim is the president and CEO of Crystal Mountain, which is a four-season resort located southwest of Traverse City. It's a Cherryland member. And in addition, Jim is the chair of the Michigan Utility Consumer Participation Board. Hi, Jim. Hi. Glad Thank to you be for here. joining us. Uh, also joining us is Dan Worth. Dan is the Clean Energy Policy Specialist at Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities. And Dan has been working on an initiative called Groundwork Shine that is seeking to increase solar development in the greater Grand Traverse region. Hi, Dan. Hey, Rachel. Thank you guys for all you do here. Yeah, and, th and this is Dan's first time on the podcast, so we're going to... We're going to go really hard on him. We're not, we're not, we're not going to give him a break. I'm ready. <laughs> and then a uh, repeat guest for us here is Zach Anderson. Zach is the vice president of power supply at Wolverine Power Cooperative. Wolverine is Cherryland's power supplier. And Zach was one of the people at Wolverine who worked really hard to help us um, kind of develop this new set of solar options last year. Hi, Zach. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming up and joining us. So to kick us off, I'm going to actually start with you, Dan. Can you tell us a little bit about what specifically Groundwork is doing to expand solar in our region and kind of what, what you've accomplished so far and what you have on your horizon? Yep, absolutely. So we dove in uh, last year with this Groundwork Shine program. The idea was the solar industry is still somewhat new, nascent up here, and so we were hoping to play the role of the sales, marketing, and assessment arm to help local uh, solar installers uh, get more projects and have to spend less time on that work. I think what happened was we learned an enormous amount. We had about 150 people through the program, 
12 of them or so, 15 are probably put solar arrays up. We came to the realization it's a very large purchase, it's a very big decision, and it's a long-term sales process. Um, so that was our first foray into just small rooftop solar. Uh, since then, we've been expanding it to think a little more broadly. We have two different initiatives. One is the RISE campaign, Rural Independence Through Solar Electricity. We just got accepted to the Department of Energy's uh, Solar in Your Community Challenge um, to be a part of that. And the idea is when you put up solar, it generally these days goes on wealthy folks' rooftops. So how does one develop solar in a way that benefits low and middle income communities and nonprofits? And then the final piece, uh, we have a very big energy conference coming up in June, Michigan Clean Energy Conference and Fair. We're bringing the state fair up here and combining it with a really high-level conference at Northwest Michigan College. And so we're totally immersed at this point. That's exciting. Zach, what's going on at Wolverine with solar? So you've touched on a lot of what we've done. You're welcome. Done. I don't even know yeah. why we invited you. Yeah, I don't, you, don't, you don't need me. Uh, but uh, Rachel mentioned it. We have a three-legged stool, if you will, around solar, community, buy all, sell all, and uh, the uh, net metering program that all of our members have come together and put those tariffs in place so that we have uniformity for all five of Wolverine's members. So Cherryland has the same program as Great Lakes Energy and Presque Isle and Homeworks Tri-County and Midwest Energy. And so we touch much of the Lower Peninsula with that solar offering. And so you mentioned Cherryland will have two megawatts. There are other rumblings and rumors for one megawatt projects, 50 kW projects, 100 kW projects around the state. And we're excited to see it. It's, it's meaningful to the members that want to have solar, want to provide solar to the grid. And this is a good way for us to do it and for all our members that, again, touches on many of the counties throughout the, the lower peninsula. And you guys built the community solar array across from your office. We so did. we've got 1.2 megawatts. Then that, like I said, was not included in our 2 megawatts, but 1.2 megawatt, megawatts there. Yes, so that is, uh, that is what's being offered on the community program. It's a 1.2 megawatt array right across from our headquarters, uh, performing well so far. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice addition to our portfolio. It was a great opportunity for us to learn by doing and understanding how solar works how the economics look, the tax credits, on and on and on. It's it's a unique way to do it. And, and Cherryland was obviously the leader in Michigan doing it first. And um, we're happy to bring a project along and being the largest really well north of US 10. So, Are you going to build more? It, it really comes down to demand from our members. That That's the key driver for all of the decisions that we make. If our members are interested in it, and that's where the buy-all, sell-all comes from. That's where net metering for anyone that wants to produce and consume in their home, supportive of all of those things and the development that we did, it's member-driven. If, if that's what we're hearing from members and we want to bring a way that people can participate in solar, we'll continue to, to look at those options and opportunities. So I kind of want to kick that over to you guys, Dan and Jim. Jim is a Cherryland member. You know, what is the demand for Let's talk community solar specifically, I guess, and then we can talk about some of those other programs. But what's the demand for community solar? So I'd say it's interesting. Uh, I think it depends exactly what the community solar looks like. Uh, for the most part, we found customers that want it on their own roofs first, sort of like a car or something like that, where they're excited to have it. There's a show value to it. There's the excitement of having it produced right on site in your own area. Um, I think for those folks who don't have great roofs, 
who live in a tree-covered city like Traverse City um, or who are looking for an outside option, community solar is a, a great choice to make. Um, but I think it's a, in some ways a different sale than it is to sell individual panels to folks. So we're learning that part too. Anything to add, Jim? Uh, no, but well, the only thing I would add is I, I know there's a lot of interest in solar. It's clean. Uh, about everyone can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it boils down to the cost and, and, you know, what other opportunity cost, what other things people need to purchase. Like in a business, you know, we have to buy chairlifts and other things. So we're always weighing the costs. But yeah, and, and I'd say too, uh, locally, that when we, if there was a project, say, developed in Glen Arbor or in Leland or somewhere like that, then folks from there might want to buy into it more. I think it's a it's a jump to buy a project that's that's significantly far away from you, but not a total impediment, just a, a different proposition. So, but we're still rallying support up here and there's been a lot of interest so far. So, so Jim, you, you know, you talk about kind of a, as a business and, and setting your priorities. What, what are you doing at Crystal right now as it pertains to kind of your energy, I guess? Is maybe the... Well, we've, we've been working on really reducing energy waste for quite a few years now and found that's the real low hanging fruit. Um, the typical cost, you know, it, it's it's about three cents a kilowatt hour, you know, generally speaking, to um, reduce consumption. So so that's what we've been working on. We also have uh, been promoting vehicle electrification. As you know, we have five EV charging stations, and it's much more efficient to drive a, an electric vehicle than it is a gas-powered vehicle. And you reduce your... Uh, Oh, I guess uh, dependence on fossil fuels considerably, particularly as the renewable penetration increases within the grid. Um, right now, we've got a very exciting project we're working on. Uh, we're expanding our uh, our inn at Crystal Mountain, where people check in, and um, in that uh, for that new building, which will come online this year, we're installing a closed loop geothermal heat pump system. And it consists of 24 460-foot deep geothermal wells, almost five miles of pipe in the ground, 12 heat pumps in the mechanical room. Uh, the geothermal wells have a working fluid of glycol and water, and then the heat pumps have a working fluid of freon. So what we're able to do is, you know, pipe the freon to the rooms, and then we can extract the heat and, and cold out of the freon. Um, it's basically the same type of system that the Wolverine Power has in their Cadillac uh, headquarters. It's a very efficient system. We're very excited to be uh, bringing it online. And it's, it's so interesting, kind of, so far, like, the takeaway is just that there, there's not one solution for every member, right? Some, you know, maybe you, you might be right, but there might be people who say, I don't want to do your community solar if I can't see it, but if I can see it in my, you know, in my neighborhood, then that's right for me. For some people, they don't care. For other businesses, they're looking and saying, look, right now, our dependence on propane or delivered fuels is our, is our most important energy problem we're trying to solve. Geothermal is going to be a really good solution there. And it's just about finding the right fit on an individual basis for, for kind of like what you're trying to accomplish in your home or business. Very situational. Absolutely. So back to solar. Um, Michigan is currently ranked 34th in the country for installed solar capacity. So I would like to hear from all of you what you think is a realistic goal for solar in northern Michigan. How much of our energy should we hope to generate from solar? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, 
We have a big theory, which is a large decarbonization initiative, which is electrify everything and then reduce emissions from electricity. And so I don't know the time frame, um, but looking at the future of electric mobility, looking at electric use in homes, looking at heating, looking at lighting, um, we're looking for those big wins. And when I, I come from Boston, uh, Massachusetts, where with a not that much more favorable climate, things are kind of going gangbusters. And then you look at California, where there's 20 gigawatts or so in the pipeline for solar. And it just seems like there's all these opportunities to develop local energy solutions, and solar seems to be the best fit for a lot of those. So I'm going with 100%, but I don't have an end date in mind yet. You know, I would love to see it by 2040, 2035, but that may be unrealistic. But we should map it and look. So I've got two people here who have a little bit of experience with transmission and grids, and there are some challenges to incorporating an intermittent supply, um, supply like solar. So maybe someone would like to jump in. Sure, I'll, I'll go from there. I, there's definitely an opportunity for solar because there hasn't been a major outgrowth in the state. Key challenges were cloud covered for a lot of the year. I mean, six months of the year, we don't get great sunlight because of latitude and then cloud cover as you move towards the Lake Michigan Lakeshore. So that's challenge number one. The next challenge is just sheerly from a land perspective. I've, I've looked at projects and when we're talking about 150 megawatt solar project in Michigan, Wolverine, we're large throughout our, all of our members, about 3 million megawatt hours annually in sales. But to get to 10% from just a solar perspective, so that would be a 150 megawatt array, you're talking about nearly 2,000 acres of land. And, and that's a really big challenge from a power supply planning perspective to think, okay, how do we get um, to a, a meaningful scale? You know, you're talking 100%. Well, it's never really 100% because we know it's going to be dark at some point, not just during the day with cloud cover. And so it's never really truly 100%, um, but I think 10, 15, 20% in the next 20 years is, is realistic. And the advantage that solar does have when I look at that compared to our wind production profile, wind, you get a lot of wind in January, February, March, really good, little less in April, little less in May, and then June, July, August, it's really pretty flat. And so turn that to solar, solar's down in those same months and then it's up in those summer months and it's producing on peak. So it's, it's a valuable capacity resource. It can be a valuable on peak energy resource. It's just, again, as you mentioned, there isn't one right solution, but solar does have a role to play. And I think over the coming decades, we'll see it at 15 or 20% in the state. Well, I think, uh I'm not sure. It's hard to really take a guess on what the percentage is going to be. I think one of the big uh, issues is um, diversity of generation mix. I think to to take any particular mix and say, oh, hey, we're going to have 50% or whatever the number is, I think the most resilient types of systems will provide a diverse mix. So you're going to have perhaps some nuclear, you're going to have some solar, some wind, some gas turbines, um, geothermal. I mean, there are lots of, of different types. Also, I think it's important uh, to deal with the intermittency of solar. You know, when a cloud goes over, that can make a big difference in the output of a plant, a large, you know, central generating plant. 
that uh, we need to do a lot more with transmission, really, because transmission takes the, uh, a lot of the variability out of a variable resource. If you can expand the energy balancing area over a large area, that will go a long way to smooth out the ripples, so to speak. But it's going to require a lot more transmission, and, and I think we're going to need to be interconnecting with some of the other states on the western MISO, you know, the other side of Lake Michigan. So I think a lot more attention uh, needs to be paid to transmission. And uh, it's kind of the Rodney dan danger field of energy. You know, it just doesn't get much respect in my view. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really underappreciated because to deal with the intermittency, you really need a, a large energy balancing area. Yep, and if I can jump back in. So my 100% I'll qualify that as a combination of efficiency, wind, solar, storage, demand response, grid upgrades. That's the end goal. And I think when you look at solar, you're looking at where it can be sited. So that acreage is huge if it was large open fields, but it could also be the roof of a lot of Myers, a lot of Toms, a lot of those places. It could be 200 individual homes that make up a megawatt when put together in terms of distributed. And so I think the challenge is to map out the state and, and counties and, and communities and see what's possible where and then make those important land use decisions and, and try to balance it. So. Well, I think another tool that we'll be able to use is uh, storage. And, you know, there's been a lot of progress made on, uh, you know, with lithium-ion batteries and, and other types of storage. And uh, it's, a big, it's a big ask because we need a lot of storage. I mean, potentially we could use a lot of storage. But... I think, you know, with the Tesla Powerwall and some of the other companies are, are designing uh, storage systems that that could help uh, help deal with the intermittency issue and allow us to provide more local solar. And I had storage is something to talk about at some point in time, so I'm glad you brought that up because storage is such an interesting challenge and in that really to do what we needed to do, especially to your point, Dan, when you talk about like, let's electrify all the things. So that is going to increase the amount of electricity we need, right? But some of those things we're electrifying potentially also become valuable storage opportunities as well. And I know you've talked about this, Jim, right? Like, is there a way in which an electrified vehicle fleet can also then become a a storage capacity. Well, there's certainly been a lot of discussion about that. We haven't seen seen much of it lately. I, I do want to uh, support what Dan was saying. I think the world is, and I, I see it when I attend my uh, electrical engineering professional society meetings. That you know, we hear from speakers in China, like the state grid of China, and they're they're electrifying everything they can. I mean, that is a direction. And the reason that it's a good idea to electrify things is because electricity has a much higher energy quality than a fossil fuel. For example, would you rather have, you know, a lump of coal or a kilowatt hour of electricity? What can you do more with? It just has more uses. You can put it right where you want it. You don't have to build a, build, you know, a, a huge plant uh, to convert the fossil fuel to electricity. It has so many advantages. Plus, it allows us to uh, incorporate a lot of clean fuels or, you know, clean energy into the generating mix. So we get a lot of wind and solar, uh, hydropower. Uh, that's all, you know, carbon-free pretty much. And uh, so it's it's a nice way to go. So as, as we, and I, I mean, I know it's it's hard to only talk about solar because we want to talk about renewables and all these things. But if we're thinking about the expansion of solar 
in Michigan or in northern Michigan, I guess. Like, where do we think that growth is going to happen? Is it going to, and this is, sounds like an either-or question. I know it's not an either-or answer. Is it primarily residential? Is it commercial scale? Is it utility scale? Where will we see the bulk of the growth that's going to get us to, in, in Zach's case, 15 to 20 percent, and in Dan's case, 100 percent? But, you know, <laughs> where's that going to come from? I think it's going to come from uh, a lot of uh, large corporations that will uh, decide to invest in that. And also, I think the utilities are going to do it. And, and, and I mean, you can concentrate a lot of a solar in a, in a large roof, let's say, as was brought up earlier. And the costs, you know, it really scales the cost down, you know. You, you really work your way down the production cost curve if you can do it at scale, as opposed to onesies, twosies on a roof. But we have a lot of people here, and we have a lot of roofs, so we can probably do a lot of those, too. I think that I think it will come, as Jim said, from the utility space and from commercial industrial. I I expect that we'll as solar costs come down, we'll continue to see residential solar, but it's it's still capital intensive for, as Dan mentioned in the outset, for middle and low income people, it's almost next to impossible to go out and buy a meaningful system that's going to cost you twenty or thirty thousand dollars. That's not easy money for people to just part with. And so it's a big challenge there. Whereas I mentioned in, in my opening remarks in talking about member demand, I think from the utility space and from the business space, commercial industrial, there's a push towards we want to see more renewable. We want to see you become green. You know, Walmart has a reputation for being incredibly cheap, but you're seeing Walmart go into the, the solar space more and more and more. So if you see Walmart do it and Amazon do it and Facebook do it and Apple do it, and those are big multinational corporations, we're going to see it more and more in that space in Michigan, and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see where it goes. Well, and it, it's because it's there's PR, there's PR and marketing value there, right? And we're, we're seeing that even in kind of the agritourism businesses in our area, right? People want it. Customers want to do business with organizations. I want to buy green wine, essentially, right? I mean, I want to buy all the wine, but if it's green wine, <laughs> even better, because then I can feel good on green wine, yeah, right? And so you, you see that pressure, and those are also entities that often do have more capital to invest than maybe the, the average um, or, or residential low-income member, right? So I, I think the – oh, go ahead, Dan. So I'll bring up – I think uh, I agree with that. I think it's more efficient, more cost-effective, and easier in a lot of ways. But what we're finding, too, is if you think of new energy development as an uh, economic development tool for a local neighborhood or area, like uh, Leelanau or like uh, Maple City or somewhere like that, um, the jobs provided for roofers, electricians, uh, permitting folks, uh, officials, those start to, those benefits, especially when you look at it from just a small community level, may outweigh some of the cost and the efficiency gains. And then the other piece is financing. Michigan Saves gives super cheap financing for this. Um, there are a lot of other groups that finance it at very low interest rates, and so you still need to qualify for the credit. There's an on-bill financing program that's being started in Holland, Michigan, that's showing a lot of promise, where if you've paid your energy bills solidly for a year, you can get engaged. And then other states are doing leasing models, where you can lease the space on your roof for Sunrun or, or someone else to come in and put up a raise. So I, I agree at the moment that the efficiency, the leans towards the big group and the utility scale side, but I think there's a way of, of uh, 
making, aggregating and making incredibly efficient the distributed generation piece. And that's what we're sort of trying to push the envelope with, with Shines. Because there are a lot of people who want this. And so if we can buy five megawatts worth of panels up front, suddenly the cost comes down for everyone if it's if something's shared throughout the community. So I, I think it's all on the table in my mind for the future. A lot of it has to do with the utility, who's buying the electricity and what kind of a program they have. Mm -hmm. And I, I know some of the utilities downstate are not very, don't seem to be very favorable to rooftop solar. Uh, when I look at what Cherryland is doing, uh, you know, the buy all, sell all, 10 cent, 15 cent with a monthly true up, that looks like a pretty good program to me. And so I think to the extent that the utilities, uh, you know, get on board, so to speak, and, and offer some uh, attractive uh, interconnection programs and, you know, uh, purchase energy programs, that's going to be a big help. And I think Cherryland's already on the way to that. And actually, I'd be interested, Zach, to hear some of the thoughts that you um, you had as you were uh, working on the, the tariff for this. Yeah, so what we were looking at is we started around the model that um, we wanted to do community solar. We wanted to do a large-scale array at our, at our headquarters that our members could participate in. And then as we worked through the economics of that and we were looking at net metering and the potential for one of the other members to do a similar project or a member of the member to do a project, it started to make sense to us that if we offered it at a rate that was fair to the membership, and was meaningful for a member at the end of the line that wanted to do solar because it is it is something that is personal to a member you know dan you touched on it with people want to put them on their roof community is great but it needs to be close to them there is that pull to have it be close to someone and so if you have the appetite and you want to put in the effort we wanted to find a way that we could plan around that development because from a power supply planning perspective, I want to know where I'm getting my energy from, who's producing it, where's the interconnect, so we can plan around it. And buy all, sell all allows us to do that and provides an avenue for somebody who wants to invest in solar to do it in a way that's meaningful to them and provides a service to us. So it's, it's a good way for us to strike a balance there. And, an, and another thing along those lines, so, and, and I just, I want to reiterate this because it's a question we get all of, all the time. Why is it 5.6 cents for the excess if I'm in a net metering program and 10 cents for everything if I'm in a buy-all, sell-all? And it all comes back to something you said, which is our ability as your utility to plan for that as a generation source in our mix. There is more value to us for things we can plan for than for things that we only get if you happen to have decided not to turn on your air conditioner in that minute, right? Um, and then the other piece, sorry, just one more thing I want to say factored into this that we heard from our members that I think is an, something we don't bring a lot of attention to but really cool about this program is the certainty they get by having a contract in place. Because when they are sitting down saying I'm making a 25-year investment, for them to know they've got a you know, 10, 15, or 20-year contract, it helps them make that decision. And I think that's another thing we're doing that's really unique and a good service to the the members of the co-op. That's really important, a, a financeable project. And to have a financeable project that will stand on its own, more or less, you need to have a good, solid contract with a length of time that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, and I'll say we, uh, we've connected to a lot of customers. And as on the advocate side, that's sort of where we live. But I've learned so much over the last year and a half and two years from Tony and Rachel and you guys at Wolverine on what it looks like from the utility side and where you get your reliability and where the costs come in. And so 
advice to other advocates is sit down with the utilities. Don't just push against them because there's they have the knowledge. They're the ones bringing electricity to the door of hundreds of thousands, millions of people. So they are the expertise, and if you can fit your goals in with what they do, it's, it's a wonderful way to work. We've had fun. It's been a ride, right? Mm -hmm. So something we haven't talked about yet, but um, I think we should talk a little bit about is in terms of thinking about the expansion of renewables, not just in, in Michigan, but in general. There are several incentives federal incentive programs in place. We have a, a new state energy law that's got some, some pieces written into it. And I kind of want to talk through the impact we think some of those things will have. So to start, we, we currently have access to the investment tax credit, which is a 30% tax credit for people who, whether it's a residence wanting to put it on their home or a business wanting to put it on, you know, whatever their roof. That is slated to go away in 2021, I believe. Um, what, what impact do we think that will have? Has it run its course? I think that uh, I used to develop biomass plants in California many years ago, and we had 10% uh, ITC, similar to what you were just talking about, only it's 30%. That's fabulous. <laughs> and we had 5% we had ETC on qualifying um, biomass things like boilers and wood handling systems and that sort of thing. And then we had five-year... Uh, accelerated cost recovery system depreciation, five-year ACRS depreciation. And between those three things, uh, we were able to generate after-tax returns of about 35% for the investors uh, on a leverage basis. And between those three things, th that made up uh, probably 70 or 80% of the financial returns. So they're very powerful tools. I had, I had, when I was double-checking that 2021 date, I looked up and, and since they initiated the ITC, and I'm not going to say this is all because of the ITC, but there's been a 1,600% growth in solar during that period of time. So, so clearly those types of price signals and incentives have an impact. You had something to say, Zach? Yeah. I, what I see often and I hear from people that are looking to develop solar is they're starting to target the ITC ramps down. So the ITC goes away in earnest by 2023. There's, it's projected to be nothing. But all of the projects are targeting this sweet spot of panel costs coming down in 2018, 2019, hitting this really low level and full 30% off your capital investment and trying to marry and getting a really economic project built in that window. Then after that point in time, it's kind of, well, now what do developers want to see? What do people want to invest in? Losing that 30% tax incentive. It's, I can see it from an economic perspective if you're a developer. It's a real challenge. But it's also a real challenge to say we're going to continue to have this tax credit out there in perpetuity to advantage these projects. At some point, they need to stand on their own. And uh, I think the, the big leap forward for solar needs to come from the production efficiency side. So energy in from the sun versus energy out, they need to become more efficient because they can only become so cheap. And they're starting to reach that point where on the cost curve, they're getting to the bottom of that curve. Then you're kind of, again, in this position of saying, now what? And that's, that's the big challenge for solar moving forward. Yeah, no, and we've seen that the 30% is a huge uh, perk. REAP grants, Rural Energy for America program through USDA is another one where you can get 30% of the value of your project for a rural business, which almost all the ones up here are. 
So those are both huge. And solar costs are dropping. And I agree there's a bottom to the curve, but Ceneva and some of those, you know, you check in monthly and the quote's different because they're, it's really moving that fast. And one thing I will say about this, and, and it sort of goes against some of the stuff, but um, low and middle income folks don't have a tax appetite. And so as much as this is an exciting thing, there's the criticism that solar is benefiting wealthy folks. And so if there was a way to include a 30% credit or subsidy or something at the federal level or state level, but that went to help those who needed it most, now it's a matter of finding equity partners who will own the project for five years, take the ITC, flip the project, sell it back. And it's sort of a, a convoluted way to get to helping low and middle income. And I think that's got to be a focus. The more people that benefit from this, the faster it's going to grow. And, and for rural cooperatives, for that matter, yeah. we, we don't have the tax appetite either. So Wolverine developed the 1.2 megawatt array through a for-profit arm that we have that sells in the Michigan choice market, the electric choice market, that can capture that tax benefit. But Wolverine itself or any of our members don't have the ability to capture that tax benefit. Mm -hmm. Which has also made it very difficult for other entities to form, to make community solar projects. Right? There, right. There's, no, no, there's no holding company, essentially, with a profit to, set it again, to offset it. Yeah, no, and this Department of Energy grant is essentially, it looks at that. It says both low and middle income, can your project, can 60% 60 60 of the benefits from it go to low and middle income, and then can 20% go to nonprofits, mm -hmm. schools, government agencies, churches, houses of worship, and so. We're going to make you come back and talk to us about that, just so you know. But you guys will be involved. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have just a couple more minutes, but I did want to really quick, because today is the day that Michigan's new energy law goes into effect. So we should at least talk about the impact we think some of the aspects of that law might have on renewables and solar in our area. Um, it, it set a 35% goal to meet 35% of our energy from either renewables or energy waste reduction by 2025 increased the mandate for renewables from 10% to 15%, um, had some, some stuff in there with revising net metering rates, green rates. So I just kind of want to hear from you all what, you, what kind of an impact you think that might have um, on your individual businesses or organizations and, and what we're doing with solar and renewables. Well, I think it's, I'm very excited about it. And I think Governor Snyder, who pushed very hard for that 35%, uh, deserves a lot of credit. Because when you think about it, you know, reducing energy waste and uh, increasing renewable energy, those are two really good goals. And, and so he, and he got a lot of pushback on that. I, I was down there, I, you know, I worked on that legislation myself. And so he deserves a lot of credit. And I think it really helps to set, by, by setting that goal, it really helps to kind of lay out the direction that we need to be heading in the state. And so even though it's not a mandate, it's still okay. Yeah, I see where we're going. I guess we need to kind of shift in that, you know, in that direction. Also, uh, for our specifically for our board, our utility consumer participation board, and what we do is we represent the interests of residential ratepayers and electric and gas utility rate cases. So we're basically auditing the mostly the major utilities. We don't get involved with the, you know, the, the smaller co-ops and, and munis and that sort of thing so much um, and that so we we now have a bigger scope where we can intervene in more cases like we weren't able to intervene in actually a rate case we were only inter able to intervene in power supply cost recovery and a few other cases so now we can intervene in about any type of case and so what we do is we look for the low-hanging fruit where do we think we can save residential ratepayers money so by opening that up, we have a lot more ability to do that. 
Also, uh, we have we added about one hundred fifty thousand dollars to our fund, um, and that fund that will allow us to fund more interveners, more experts, to look at a wider variety of cases. So I think that will help keep the rates down, knowing that there's somebody out there besides the MPSC and the AG's office that is looking out for residential ratepayers. I hesitate to go too far afield with this and sound arrogant or ag aggressive in some way as far as it, I'll just say it, it doesn't change what we're already doing. The, the energy package we have, by the end of this year, will be above the 15% renewable portfolio standard. We were already doing that anyway. We have our members that have participated in the energy optimization now called energy waste reduction, and they've done that since, since 08, and we'll continue to do that through 2021 or 2020 when that, when that phases out, because it's about serving your members and doing what they want. And we've been able to do that as our rates are projected and will go down in the years ahead. So we're meeting our renewable goals. Our members are engaged with their members on energy waste reduction. We'll continue to do what we do and embrace solar if that's in the interest of the member and that's what the member wants. We'll continue to look for renewable projects and do what our members consider to be the right thing, whatever that may be. And we're in a really, really good position that as far as the energy legislation goes, it doesn't change business as usual for us because we were already doing that anyway. Yeah, you guys are the model. It's yeah. great. It's a great, you're in a great position. <laughs> and we're glad to be one of your customers because you have, I know you have long been promoting energy efficiency. I know that. You've long been promoting geothermal. You know, I'm looking at geothermal and for those uh, co-op members who are, have propane gas, uh, for heating, they can basically cut their heating cost in half by doing geothermal and, and funding it with elect electricity. And then uh, you'd also, you know, you've got a nice program here for your net metering for people who want to have their own uh, solar generating. And uh, you, you also have increased your penetration of wind into the system. And uh, I did have a question for you, though, on that. At the energy generation mix, where where are where is Cherlin and Wolverine now on the energy generation mix with regard to uh, primarily to wind? Let's say wind will make up this year about it's about 17 percent of our overall portfolio will come from wind. We had uh, planned to go to potentially 30 percent, and these are some of the challenges we face with renewables moving forward. We've had zoning issues with, with that other project and the ability to build that project, which was and still is an economic project. It's just it's difficult. People don't necessarily want it in their backyard. And so you talked about transmission. We built a nice transmission loop in the thumb of Michigan, and we've built a lot of wind there. But obviously the, the people in the neighborhood are growing tired of seeing all the wind turbines, and that presents a, a challenge moving forward. But as I said, we, we look to go to 30% because over the long term, it was in the economic interest of our members, and we'll continue. My job is to continue to look for those opportunities, and as they make sense from an economic and uh, 
benefit perspective for our members will continue to look at that. And I, I really appreciate um, that compliment, Jim. And I know Cherryland's done a lot of things to help Wolverine and direct us as to here's what the members want, here's what you need to be looking at. And I really hope in the years ahead we see a lot more geothermal. It's now a, it's now a renewable resource recognized. I don't know how that's going to work yet, but it's a renewable resource recognized in the energy legislation. And it's a really important resource for rural members to be able to lower their costs and do it in a way that's really clean and efficient. So I, I hope that we continue to see geothermal outgrowth in our footprint. Yeah, and I'd say it's, it's, uh, it's great that there's been this state energy legislation because it feels like a really hard learning process to figure out how to do all this stuff and its different mechanics really well. And I think you guys have been through a lot of that learning process and are really doing a great job with it. And I think this forces some of the bigger utilities to start down that path in an aggressive way too. And, you know, it's a new gigawatt of, of renewables potentially. That's $2 billion of investment in Michigan. That's fantastic. Um, I think that's a great push and it's a, it's a great opportunity. And uh, here in Traverse City, there's a 100% commitment from the city. And even that was just a opened up the market for solar. It said to everybody who wants to develop a project, we are interested in this and we're here. And we're seeing five, six, seven developers coming in want to want to be part of that. So I, I hope it has the same effect on the state level. And then Public Service Commission is in charge of designing an energy tariff. I think that'll be a really interesting development to watch um, in a state where a lot of coal plants are going offline and we're going to need a lot of peak demand uh, energy and electricity. And solar can potentially provide that right when we need it in the middle of the summer. The actual value of solar electricity to a utility could go way up. And so I'm excited that there's this deliberative, engaging community process to look at that value. And who knows, you know, it may, instead of being a, a fee on solar users, it may be a benefit to them. And it's just exciting to see everyone diving in and working together to figure this out, including Cherryland and Wolverine, who are, I agree, leading the way. Well, guys, we're, we're definitely um, out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us. We've talked through so many different things. I've learned a lot. All I remember is just how awesome Cherryland is. I'm sure we talked about <laughs> other things, but that was going to be my takeaway. Um, and, and, I, and I just want to reiterate something that um, for our listeners out there, our members, we can, we're trying to do what's in the best interest of our, of our members, but we also need them to be our partners in that. So that's where them communicating to us about the types of programs they want sending us signals by participating in the programs we offer, right? Working side by side with us on, say, zoning issues in, in, in different communities. Those are the types of things that our listeners and our members can do every day on the ground if they are truly committed to seeing the expansion of renewables in our area. So thanks, guys. It's been a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Great job.